Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today I have Wes Brasher, and Wes is Chief Operating Officer of Motherlow Verbal Company. And he is a, one I would say definitely a legend because he's been on Amazon for over 10 years, managing the uh, Amazon operations as well as being in the startup space for over 10 years. He loves startups and he mentors, uh, he, he provides business planning and the innovation that startups need. And also he happens to be a master of marketing and brand management. So with that, uh, welcome Wes and uh, how are you doing today? Excellent, thanks for having me, Nick. I appreciate it, hope to learn a few things, maybe share a trick or two. Sure, sure. So right off the bat, tell us about something that you're doing really well on Amazon today and put that in the context of what uh, what the company does, what your products are. Sure. Um, Mother Love Herbal Company manufactures and sells a product assortment of about 40 items, um, supplements and body care products predominantly for nursing mothers, um, pregnant women, and their children. Uh, so we try to support breastfeeding and uh, healthy families, and Amazon's a great place to do that. It's about half our business on e-commerce, um, and Amazon's the biggest piece of that. So we work really hard to try and make sure that we're successful there. Um, I would say quite proud of the last couple of years of navigating chaos of supply chains and uh, Amazon rule changes and management of uh, global pandemic. Uh, we've been very successful maintaining in stocks and growing our business on Amazon through throughout. So um, feel good about that. We're on a constant mission to understand the numbers and kind of break through the black box of Amazon information to understand what's happening with our products and uh, grow our business. So feel pretty good about our performance uh, through that process. So I, I heard you say supplements. So that happens to be a category, obviously, that attracts a lot of competition. And there's a lot of it. And especially in private label space, you have a lot of companies bringing these out, whether they are small companies or actual labs that, or contract manufacturers doing this for a long time, now bringing out their own. So now here you are, you are kind of, some of your products are in that space. So how do you differentiate yourself in the realm of keywords, hundreds and hundreds of them constantly performing in different ways? And how, how do you do that? Well, I would say, first of all, we're very much focused on our niche. Um, you know, obviously, pregnant and nursing women is a pretty defined set of consumers that we're after. Um, but we've definitely seen in recent years, the competition has really ratcheted up. Uh, as you mentioned, large companies enter entering this space, um, you know, moms are a very valued consumer. They control a lot of the dollar spent in their household. Uh, they influence purchases for all the other members of their household. So we're definitely uh, fighting for some very valued consumers, um, but we're definitely fighting inside our niche. Um, you know, making sure that our content is optimized, making sure that we are really managing return on ad spend and, and seeing our activities uh, payoff is an ongoing effort. We've got a team of people that works at it every day. And uh, as I said, it's almost half our business. So 
we've got uh, adequate amount of resource dedicated to it uh, to do it well. So tell me about uh, some, as a, obviously a lot of the listeners are experiencing the same challenges to differentiate themselves. So when you make your efforts in a way that you feel real good results, what does that mean in terms of ad spend as um, multiples? So how much do you spend and then how much do you get in revenue and what is acceptable to you? Uh, well, nothing's ever acceptable, I guess. We always always strive to kind of eke out a little bit more value. I think that 2021 for the full year, our ROAS was about five. Uh, I think that's pretty good compared to a lot of companies and people that I talk to um, would be really happy with that number. Um, truth is, on a day-to-day basis, that might vary from one point something to recent weeks. I've seen numbers up in the ballpark of 19 or 20. So that type of return um, is pretty good, I think, on Amazon. However, it's a day-to-day, hand-to-hand combat type of effort to make that type of return. So always understanding who you're competing with for various ad search terms and placements, um, understanding who's after your placements and where your competitors are trying to come at you, um, and really just not accepting uh, any result as good enough and continually looking to get better is is the approach. Yeah. So, so for the uh, the benefit of the listeners, so you mentioned ROAS. ROAS is return on ad spend. So that means that you spend a dollar on advertising, whether it's sponsored ads, display, whatever the case may be. So for every dollar you spend, you got $5 in revenue or $1.2 or $19, like you mentioned, right? That's that's the whole idea. Now, that also translates into the total advertising cost of sales. So in other words, you also have organic traffic coming, right? So when you spend advertising dollars, you also generate organic traffic. So you may get $5 on every dollar spent, but all together during that same time frame, you get a higher multiple on the total return, right? You, you experience that yourself. So what is that uh, comparison like? So if you're getting five for ROAS, what are you getting on the total? You know, our total ad cost of spend is in the ballpark of one to five percent, and and it varies again day to day, week to week, um, quite a bit. And in terms of dollars that we spend on advertising, you know, that can vary as much as ten x day over day, just depending on how our placements happen and and how successful we are bidding on ad ad placement. So I think that's something a lot of people really just don't realize about Amazon. You can have dollars to spend and struggle to spend them at times, depending on what ads you're trying to place, what search terms you're trying to advertise to and things like that. So um, I think it's a very dynamic place. And I think being very attuned to what's happening on a daily basis is, is really critical. Yeah. So when you say one to 5%, so let's stay on the 5%, uh, that means 20X, right? So Correct. what I'm hearing really, to put it in perspective, what you are telling me is for every dollar you spend on advertising, you get $5 in sales, but the total sales during the same time frame, including the organic, could be $20. Correct. And so... $1 to $1 to $20 that's a pretty good return so uh, obviously if those are the numbers you're getting then obviously that that must have taken you quite a bit of time to optimize and learn and also it's moving target right it's changing correct we we have a very talented chief marketing officer 
uh, by the name of Simla Somturk, who has worked very hard with her team and also a group of external experts. You know, this is, uh, it's a channel. It's, it's not a customer. It's not a store. It's an entire commerce channel. And um, I think you have to staff it accordingly. Yeah, there, there are so many angles into it and you've got to be good at all of them if yeah. you want to be successful. So that, that actually highlights a very good point. So for those who are thinking, oh, I can wing it, I can do this myself. So what do you say to those people? Well, you know, I serve a, a board of directors for a startup that um, went, went to market with that exact hypothesis. I can launch a brand on Amazon, put very little capital behind it and uh, build a presence and generating that type of organic awareness for your products on Amazon is very, very difficult. You know, the algorithms require reviews. They require search traffic. They require interest uh, in your product. And if you don't have it, no one knows the product is there. So it, it takes investment. It takes time. And it takes a lot of effort to build awareness for your products there. Yeah. It's not it's not some place you can just drop a product listing and expect people to find it. Yeah. I think that's a big misconception. Yeah. So um, so now uh, looking at high levels, so what do you see as the biggest opportunities and the challenges when you're selling on Amazon? Well, you know, in a really granular sense right now, uh, being in stock and having product to sell is a differentiator. I think we've seen our competition in many cases struggle to maintain their placements uh, in retail stores and maintain their listings online. Uh, so certainly fighting the good fight in supply chain and investing in inventory and making sure that you are supplied is, is a big deal. Um, our cost to acquire advertising has increased, you know, in some cases, almost a hundred percent in the last couple of years. So, you know, really being smart about where you put your ad dollar is really critical because it's that much more expensive, that much less efficient to buy advertising on Amazon. Um, we're also facing competition from Amazon. Uh, if you have success there, you're able to generate enough interest in your products or your brands, you can pretty much bet that Amazon will put one of their own brands up against you. And, um, you know, the playing field is a little bit tilted in their favor. So uh, you really have to be aware of maintaining the health of your listings, making sure you've got the buy box. Like it's, it's a day, day in, day out fight. And the more SKUs you have, the more fights you got to take on. So it's, it's a big, big deal. So I met, I just heard you mention buy box. So uh, that implies that, tell me if it's correct, that you also have resellers selling your products on Amazon. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think that's a critical piece that a lot of people going into business on Amazon don't realize how many sellers are out there selling products that they've acquired from somewhere, but they have no true affiliation with the brand or distribution rights or any reason to be selling that product other than I found some inventory somewhere. I'm going to sell it here. And, uh, you know, we see some crazy things. We see people who will buy our product at a retailer's website like Walgreens and sell it on Amazon. And they may only make a few pennies on that transaction, but we're competing with them for the sale of our own product. So it's critical to get Amazon's recognition as the brand owner, to uh, leverage that against every non-authorized seller that you can see selling your products. Um, it's a big threat for any brand that's trying to build a business there. So uh, this is a very good subject because a lot of people don't realize it and some people who know it don't do much about it. So when you say recognize Amazon as the brand owner, that means that you need to be on Amazon brand registry, right? Correct. 
That so, is correct. So, um, so tell us a little bit about how to get on brand registry and also if you do that, what kind of privileges you get in terms of presenting your brand on Amazon, as well as some of the protections that Amazon offers to brand owners against other resellers. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's a process that Amazon offers that you can engage in and submit your your brand and your information to become recognized as the actual brand owner. And Amazon will go, th go through that process to verify that you are who you say you are and that you are indeed the brand, the business that owns the brand. And once once they're satisfied, they will give you that that certification on your account. And that opens some doors, um, both to the type of content that you can present. And, and what I've seen most impactfully is that they take your um, complaints, so to speak, or when you file an issue that you're having, uh, you get a different level of support behind the scenes from Amazon. So they are more likely to uh, act in your favor when you have someone who's selling your product and not supposed to be selling your product, they are more likely to enforce uh, map pricing and things that you are trying to do to maintain your brand integrity are more, taken more seriously by Amazon if you're the brand owner. Um, that to me is the biggest piece. Uh, it's very difficult to disrupt Amazon's position that competition is good for the consumer and you know make no mistake amazon is there for the consumer not for the seller you're you're not the priority as a seller for them if the consumer is getting good value if the consumer is getting competitive pricing that's the win for amazon and and um that doesn't necessarily entail what's best for you as a seller uh, a lot of people struggle to realize that uh that that platform does not exist for you as a seller. It exists for the consumer and Amazon's going to be sure of that. So right here, I'm hearing some kind of a, a big business decision to be made. If you are going to sell online, do you, and you are a private label company, you have your own branded products. Do you want to sell online and also have resellers or do you want to have exclusively just sell it yourself online because just by that easy decision, and a lot of people make that very early, and then they have these resellers, now they start to compete against the very people that they they sell to in, in wholesale. And, and then suddenly, you know, they're competing on the price and then trying to make their case and, and et cetera, right? I mean, that's a big decision. Did you struggle with that decision or had that already been made by the time you joined the company? Yeah, you know, I think that decision had been made quite some time before I joined Mother Love, but I think it's a critical decision for any brand. And, you know, it's definitely a part of um, good startup practice, uh, understanding very clearly who your consumer is, where you can reach them, and the best way to get your product in front of them at the time that they're making decisions to purchase is a big piece of any business plan. and. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the beverage industry, understanding if you're going to be a part of direct store distribution networks or work directly with chain retailers uh, and big warehouses. Like these are critical uh, fundamentals that I think are very important to sort out early on because that decision informs so much of your decision making about where you go who you sell to and what you spend money on. And if you're kind of stuck in the middle, you're throwing dollars away on both sides. And so being clear is, is really important. So uh, tell us about some of the challenges that I, I introduced you as uh, uh, someone who's running it on Amazon for over 10 years. So, uh, but they had already started in business by the time you joined. So were they already on Amazon when you joined or did you get them started on Amazon 
tell us about that that process of how they happened to get on Amazon and what was the decision making process and what were some of the initial challenges that they had when they made that decision because Amazon requirements are fairly diverse and you know there's a lot of it and it can overwhelm people and uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about that and also if they were already there and what kind of challenges you had when you took over the, the whole operation of the company what were, what was done correctly what was done incorrectly Sure. Um, you know, Mother Love is a 30 plus year old brand, um, started and really built its business in natural product industry and, you know, more um, up and down the street, natural product stores. And so the brand has been through a tremendous amount of change in terms of the consumer that, um, that the brand speaks to and their behavior and shopping preferences in terms of the retail landscape of natural product industry, um, so much has changed. And so when I joined Motherlove, they had been on Amazon in FBA for several years, um, but I would say there was a need for more sophisticated data and analysis in terms of understanding what was happening with sales and and different listings on Amazon and then generating tools to be able to do what we needed to do to grow. Um, so certainly big parts of that were rogue sellers of the product, people unauthorized to sell the product and having a lower price than us was extremely disruptive. There were our biggest seller, our, our number one selling skew is almost half of our volume at Amazon. So 25% of our entire business depends on one listing on Amazon. And that's a very precarious place to be if you can lose the buy box and not have a clear path to purchase on that one product. Uh, you, you start feeling the pain very quickly. So building better practices around um, monitoring and understanding the status of our listings uh, really driving for analysis of ad spend efficiency and understanding how and where to spend money to grow sales at Amazon um, has been a big deal. You know, they dump a lot of data out of their system, but it's not all the data. There's a lot of gray area that you can't see, and you really have to work hard to understand this is what's happening and delivering the results that we're seeing. Uh, it requires a lot of time and effort to acquire the information, put it into a format and learn how to track it and use it. So that's really been the effort, um, you know, dealing with the chaos and change that comes daily from Amazon in general, but certainly over the last couple of years with COVID and, and global pandemic, it's been that much more. Uh, a good example would be um, we had disruption to our ability to refill FBA warehouses based upon prioritizing high importance COVID-related products when things first started happening. And we were very well positioned to handle that because we're set up both as an FBA and an FBM seller. And when we couldn't get product into FBA warehouses because of COVID restriction, we were able to flip our listings and fulfill through FBM to keep getting sales, even though we didn't have inventory in the FBA warehouses. So that was the situation I don't think any one of us could have ever anticipated, but we were equipped to assess the issue, come up with a solution and keep our business moving. So that means, obviously, it's a, it's a fulfillment question then, right? So because as soon as you go from FBA to FBM, you've got a lot more metrics that apply to you as a, a seller. Your performance is monitored, you know, your, your delivery, on-time delivery, uh, late ship rate, and all that stuff becomes a lot more uh, complicated to track, right? Correct. Yeah, very difficult to do 
what Amazon requires you to do as an FBM seller. And on top of that, consumer has the expectation of what you've been giving them through FBA. So, you know, two-day delivery, free, free shipping, these things are, you know, kind of consumer expectation at this point because of what Amazon's been able to do. And uh, you, you start breaking from that, you uh, immediately add complication and take on a lot of uh, responsibility to, to deliver. Yes. So not something that we want to be doing regularly, but cer- certainly something that we did quite effectively in a very intense and strange situation. So then I just heard you saying something that happens to be my expertise in areas. I'm always interested. So um, tell me about how you make use of the Amazon analytics, because there are two ways to get data from Amazon. One is through their API, so that you can, if you have programmers, uh, or you can find these third-party applications that connect through API uh, that give you the data you want, you can use them, uh, or it's not everything is available through the API. So the only option is to go to whichever report that you make use of, download it manually, and then put it into the format like you mentioned. So tell me about how you are handling that. Are you using the the API-based data or are you using the manual work? And what is the mix? Yeah, well, we actually use both. um, And we enlist expert help to be able to access API data that we can't get to ourselves. So uh, there are agencies out there who specialize in uh, Amazon data, in Amazon advertising data. Um, So we we enlist their tools and their access in ways that we can't really do ourselves. But we're also pulling um, inventory level reports directly out of Seller Central ourselves that we use to track inventory levels and and do our more forecasting type work on the supply side, Um, but certainly uh, lean heavily upon a couple of key vendors and the data that they can tap into uh, for the more complex calculations around ad ad efficiency and ad buy practices and things like that. Talk about ad efficiency, you know, what I always here come up over and over from every seller that advertises their listings is the conversion rate. So, cause everybody can spend all the advertising dollars that if the listing is not converting, then obviously you're wasting money. So it's like pouring more water into a bucket with holes. So do you track your conversion rates? Are you able to get that data? And how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, we track conversion on every product. um, And we really look at that on a monthly basis. Um, You know, really hoping to see our top selling items convert in in the 50s and 60s uh, in terms of percentage of of sessions. Um, That's a pretty tall order, but we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, that one hero skew and really try to manage conversion on that skew as a top priority. Yeah, so I mean, that's another big deal because a lot of people launch their listings and then they say, okay, let's spend some advertising dollars, let's get some sales. But then, you know, when they spend those dollars, they get the traffic to the listing, they're not, the listing is not converting. Yeah. So you need to fix that problem, right? So when you say 50s, 60s, what you are saying is out of uh, every two, People that land on your listing, one of them is buying. That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. when you put that in perspective with the ad spent, ROAS, and the total advertising cost of sale, that makes a lot of sense to really hone in on your conversion before you can start selling, right? Because yeah. spending advertising. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, very well said, Nick. I think the, you know, the keys are there. Amazon gives you enough information and tools to do what you can do to optimize your content, make sure your listings are really well built and have 
a lot of the backend search term work done, um, you know, SEO and, and all of that um, technical backend listing information is really critical. And as much as you need to do that for your global presence for Google and, and search engines outside of Amazon, I think it's twice as important within the Amazon system. Yeah. You know, they, they give you the rules. Um, they may not make it super easy to find or clear, but everything that you can find about doing business with Amazon, you should be responding to because every little bit adds up to ranking in their algorithms. And, you know, it, it blew me away to learn that other brands might actually be trying to buy placement on searches for my brand. You know, not just for a product, but for my brand, other companies are out there bidding for, for placement on that search. And a lot of people don't understand just how competitive uh, the ad, ad system really is. Well, that's a very interesting point. So this is what I learned uh, over the years. So first of all, as an advertiser, if you start bidding on other brands, I mean, that, that happens all the time because obviously those brands are getting traffic. So somebody who's coming up and they want their business and they're starting to build their brand, they start bidding on those brand names. So that is actually disallowed by Amazon automatically. They will reject that kind of bid if it's an established brand. Mm -hmm. However, so that means that they won't index the listing. So doesn't matter whether they are bidding on it or trying to bid or organically, that listing does not get indexed for that established brand keyword. However, if Amazon customers come organically, they search one of those established brands, but they land on another product, which offers the same thing, happens to be a different brand, and they end up buying and Amazon tracks all those clicks. And if they find that a credible number of purchases are coming from searches on these established brands, they will index those listings for free. You don't have to pay, you don't have to bid on it. And they will, because they are basically thinking, oh, this brand clearly is not doing as good a job with the product, but this other one, new one is. So therefore we're going to give them more exposure. When somebody searches this established brand, have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I I definitely see signs of that, and you know it's it's such a deep well of research that you can go down to figure out where people are coming at you, where uh, you should be going at other brands. Like that nuance is fascinating. Um, great great tools out there. I don't know if you're familiar with Helium Ten. Um, but we use that on a regular basis to really understand um, the funnel of search terms and how products are affecting us and how we're affecting others, uh, where, where consumers are coming from and finding us. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, I'm intimately familiar with Helium 10. It's a great tool. I, I recommend it all the time. Whenever I'm working with my clients, I'm always putting that on the list. Uh, when we start working on the listings, uh, medium 10 is a must, so uh, great tool. So before we move on to another subject, I just wanna highlight one other thing for again, for the listeners. So uh, I heard you emphasize how important the conversion is. So until you get the conversion in order, really you don't wanna go crazy spending advertising dollars because you'll be wasting money. And, and the second point that I heard you make is these reports that, uh, or I should say the data that will help you with conversion and things like that, not necessarily always available through the API or with these tools that you can sign up for, but you gotta, you should be prepared to download, look at it yourself and then take action. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Any and all information that you can tap into has value. And, you know, you're lucky if you grow to a point where you can afford to purchase better data, 
but you've got to fight your way there. Most, most brands can't afford to come out of the gate with external resources and expertise behind them. So you really have to maximize what you have available to you and bootstrap your way there, you know? So uh, going back to the FBA, FBM question. So you mentioned that you started as FBA or company started as FBA. And when you joined, it was primarily FBA. But then when COVID hit, you took advantage of the FBM. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what is the best use of each one of these? And, and what are the challenges that come with it? Uh, well, my personal opinion is that FBA is the, the way to play. And it gives you access to more resources and information and preferential treatment from Amazon um, as an FBA seller. So we maintain FBM on our listings only for extreme circumstances when something might go wrong. COVID brought about some of that with warehouse closures and you know disruption to our ability to load inventory in. There was a very intense period of time when our products were not considered essential in the Amazon system. So our inbound freight of inventory to the FBA warehouses was being suppressed and put on hold. So our out of stocks became an issue and we were very fortunate to be prepared to switch over to FBM to be able to continue to take orders and fulfill orders. But that's really the only, only time that I see a real value in FBM over FBA um, in that type of extreme situation. Other than that, I find it far more preferable to be an FBA seller and to be engaged in all the tools and all the resources that Amazon offers as an FBA seller. A lot of that is taken away as an FBM. To your point earlier, all of a sudden, there's a lot of requirement in terms of communication, turnaround time, shipping information, and sharing tracking, and all the things that you have to do as an FBM seller require a lot of time and resource, human capital from our business that we'd much rather have FBA take care of for us and also give us access to the support that comes with it. Um, my first brand on Amazon was long enough ago that it was much harder to get into FBA. So we were an FBM seller exclusively for years in that business and had to work really hard just to meet the standards and make sure that our listings weren't um, getting flagged or being suppressed because of our performance as a fulfillment company. Um, so FBA takes a lot of that stress away and gives you access to more information and tools. As far as uh, you don't do FBM anymore. So I guess since the initial, the COVID situation has cleared up, you're back to exclusively doing FBA. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'll bring up something here again for the benefit of the listeners. There is an interesting situation that I, I found out with FBM. So as you know, when you produce the shipping information that gets submitted to Amazon. So let's say that you, or you're supposed to submit it to Amazon, provide the tracking number and everything else. That's, that's, that's what informs the customer that packages shipped and then also uh, it gets your transaction included in the next settlement batch, so you get paid for it. So, um, a lot of people who do FBM wait until the end of the day, or they submit in batches, or they use software like ShipStation or others, and then that does it in batches. And sometimes those submissions fail. It's either if it is being done manually by the user, you may forget. And sometimes these third-party systems fail or something happens with Amazon uh, API, API times out or whatever the case may be, your shipping badge 
is missed. So what I learned, which was crazy, when you finally submit that shipping day, because you realize at some point, wait a minute, you know, what happened? So either customer complains or you don't get paid. And then you realize that a number of packages have not been submitted as shipped. So you then submit that shipping data. What Amazon does is it takes your submission date and time as the shipment date, not whatever is in that. In other words, you, you may have shipped the product on January 10th, but it doesn't get picked up. And then you have to resubmit that shipping data on January 14th, four days later. They take your shipping date as January 14th. They don't take it as January 10th, even though the label was created on the 10th and it was shipped on the 10th. And that, of course, in turn starts to penalize you because you ship the package late and then it just grows from there. So this was something that I realized. I thought, this is amazing. You know, they, they don't care about the label. They care about when you are submitting the data. That, that's an interesting thing. Have you ever found anything like that? Not necessarily that exactly, but that doesn't surprise me. And, and you said the magic word, which is settlement. And, you know, I think it's very easy to grow comfortable with information that's in your seller central dashboards and account and see the information on screen. Um, but if you're not reconciling your information to the settlement and understanding what you ultimately get paid and pay for in your settlement, um, you're, you're missing some things. Uh, the, there's always a gap between what the seller central data says we sold and what we ultimately see come through on the settlement. And if you're not watching carefully, uh, you'll miss some things. Yeah. So um, even within the platform, there's, there's difference from one set of numbers to another. And that's confusing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go uh, into that rabbit hole about how you make out with, with the settlement report because that's a whole different thing. But I just want to make that point. I'm glad you brought this up. So figuring out you basically your settlement report is is when you're getting paid, and that has to be registered in your accounting system, and then matched up against your inventory because in your settlement report you are saying that this is what I'm getting paid for, but somewhere. Uh, you would need to know what you should be getting paid for next. And if there are mismatches, you're losing money there. Basically, it could be a mistake. It could be something. But that means it's very complicated operation, right, to set up because it means systems and, and really understanding inventory management and accounting and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's also another place where we enlist expertise. We have a auditing service that we employ who goes back quarterly and looks at all of our transactions and helps us file claims for things that are incorrect. And we pretty much every quarter expect to get a few thousand dollars back from that auditing process. A lot of times it's inventory driven. So, you know, if you think about the number of distribution centers that FBA is operating and 40 some SKUs for us, um, stocking into all of those distribution centers, product gets misplaced, product gets mislabeled, product gets lost in transit between distribution centers. And ultimately, if you're not aware or you're not able to figure out where that product went, it disappears and these auditors are actually able to track it, file a claim and recoup those funds for us. So uh, it's very complex. It's a huge system and you're just one tiny little speck in, in the bigger picture. And you, you know, your dollars are subject to all kinds of chaos. So that settlement is to me is the gospel. That's, that is your actual dollars coming in and actual dollars being taken out um, no matter what it says in your dashboards and reporting. 
Yeah. We can spend a whole hour just talking about settlement report. <laughs> this is a big subject. And of course, it has the sales tax component of it as well. So uh, yeah. let, let's not go there. Let's go, <laughs> go on to a little bit more fun stuff. So, uh, so tell me about your uh, team. So you mentioned external experts you have uh, in-house. You mentioned your chief marketing officer. So tell me about your team. What does it take to run and manage a successful Amazon operation? What kind of uh, work should be handled internally and what you should outsource, tools? Just give us the whole perspective of what it takes to be successful. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's critical to think about the fact that, you know, as I said earlier, it's an entire channel. It's not just a customer that you sell to. It's not just a distributor. Like you have responsibility from being a retailer and speaking to the consumer all the way back to determining what to put in the listings, how much inventory to load in. So you really are managing every aspect of an entire channel of trade, not just a customer. I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, hey, I sell something to Amazon. As an FBA seller, you're not selling it to Amazon. Amazon is fulfilling it for you on their platform and the rest of the responsibility is yours. So you need to have the resources in place to do that. Um, for us, our entire executive team is very much engaged at Amazon. Uh, it's such a big piece of our business that uh, requires cross-functional leadership. Uh, so we, we are all at the executive level, uh, very informed about what's happening at Amazon and engaging with our teams on our piece. Um, on the sales side of things, um, you know, I think it really falls within the sales and marketing group for our, our structure. And we've got really two dedicated people working on Amazon and e-commerce as a whole day-to-day. Um, -day. Uh, that's their focus. They are managing multiple, I would say three key external resources, um, helping us to navigate just the Amazon universe, helping us to navigate ad spend in particular. And then, you know, really um, the Helium 10 type research that you need to do to be able to do all that work. So those are really the big external pieces on the sales and marketing side. Then on the operating side, uh, our director of operations, our um, business intelligence analyst, and myself work very hard to make sure that we're stocking enough product, we're ahead of trend, we know what promotions are coming, and we're assuring that the inventory is in the FBA system on time. So really... I would say in all internal resources, we probably have 10 people who are looking at Amazon at least once a week with some specific intent to do work. Um, externally, I would say, you know, we probably have another five or six people who are working on our account all the time. So it's a big effort for a company of 22, 23 people, um, you know, probably half of our team is engaged with Amazon at some level, but it's half of our revenue. Yeah, so, I was going to say, you have half the business coming from Amazon, so half the team obviously makes sense. So as, as far as for the benefit of all of people, because you know how it is, you, you, at the beginning, you you try to save money, you try to learn it yourself and then figure it out. Um, but of course, there is the opportunity cost and no matter what, you're going to spend money, whether it's your time, or you pay somebody. So what are the external uh, resources for? What do you use them for? I, I heard you earlier mentioned that you have one that does the audit. And then, uh, for example, the other big piece is the PPC management, right? So uh, give us a sense of what makes most sense to bring in external resources. Well, I think the pay-per-click work is probably the most critical. 
um, you know, that's where I think the majority of the data is coming in and being analyzed for opportunity for efficiency and really is directing the biggest portion of our, um, what I'm going to call our chosen spend. You know, we're, we're choosing to invest in advertising and pay-per-click tactics. And, and those are dollars that we need to ROI because so much money is going to commission and FBA fees that we don't get to choose. That's just Amazon's cost to play. So, you know, we really try to put uh, as much emphasis as we can on those variable expenses and making sure that we're doing that well. So the pay-per-click advisement and access to additional data is, is I think, the, the biggest key. The other pieces, like you mentioned, the auditing, you know, that's a um, cost to us only as a percentage of what is recouped. So I recommend anybody who has a selling account on Amazon entertain those types of uh, refund audits. There's no cost to you upfront. As long as you have enough business to attract one of those services, they'll do all the heavy lifting. They'll file the, the claims and they'll take their piece of what they're able to recoup. So that's really, I think, a very low risk um, opportunity to make sure that you're not leaking dollars to the Amazon system. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, we, we hire a group of commerce experts that really help us to just navigate the black box. You know, when your buy box goes away, it's not clear why. You have to go and figure out why, and you have to figure out what to do about it. You know, and it could be something legitimate, uh, a problem with your listing or a problem with your inventory, like could be something you really need to address or it could be something that you never figure out why your buy box went away for four days and it just comes back. So existing in a place where there's that much ambiguity, I think really makes it helpful to have people who are experts, people who are working at this across multiple brands who have some tricks up their sleeve, you know, some people who, who they can pick up a phone and get a rep instead of dealing with a, a chat box. You know, so uh, you're paying for, you're paying for resources and insight and help. Um, But we've, we've found that to be very helpful. Um, Yeah. It's it's a lot to ask of one or two team members to be that informed and that good at dealing with Amazon. Um, So we find that a good value. Yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned this is a channel and the, the experts on the channel will be on top of what's going on with that channel on a daily basis, but you've got a whole business to run. You cannot be expected to run the business and also be on top of everything going on with every channel. So yeah, we've got that. thousands of Walmarts and Walgreens and uh, grocery stores. Like there's a whole other side of the business that's yeah. just as big and cumbersome. So um, this is just a little more self-contained. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so give us a little bit about the the short and long term goals that you. It's a new year. We're recording this at the beginning of January, twenty twenty two. So, uh, you've got a new year. So, what are your goals for the year? And we don't need obviously specific numbers, but as far as multiples. So, what are you looking to uh, achieve? And then, how does that compare to the previous periods? Sure. Um, We grew the business by about 7% in 2021. Um, And, you know, that was a good performance on the back of 2020 being so disrupted. We we were still relatively flat year over year. So 2021 was a great step forward. We've got a plan for 2022 to grow by about five to 6%. And, you know, really, I think the key there is um combating the escalating cost of advertising you know the the cost per click and all the various ways that we advertise there have just continued to spiral upward and that i think is driven by 
consumer behavior shifting towards e-commerce, driving brands to focus there. Um, on the other side of our business, we had budgets for promotional programming and things that we do to try and drive volume in stores that we couldn't utilize because those stores weren't open or they weren't executing on various programs. So I assume that other brands are seeing similar dynamics, shifting their focus to e-com, spending more of their ad dollar in Amazon and other pay-per-click forms and driving the cost of winning those bids upward quickly. So our big goal is to grow the business this year um, at the top line, but really we're focused on growing profitability. We'd like to see bottom line growth uh, exceed 10%. Cool. cool. So, um, okay. So that's enough of business. So who is Wes Brasher? Tell us about uh, you. So what is the, uh, you know, where you're based for starters. And then obviously we know what you do in uh, the company by your education and uh, your passions. What do you do? Uh, what do you do for play outside of work? Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm sitting here in my home in Northern Colorado, just outside of a town called Loveland, Colorado. Um, I've been in Loveland for 20 some odd years. I moved to this area specifically to be a part of the natural product community around Boulder, Colorado. Um, which is something I discovered from a completely different place. I was a category manager for non-alcoholic beverages at 7-Eleven convenience stores and um, really just didn't like being uh, a pusher of products that I didn't believe in as a consumer. So um, wanted to be a part of the natural product community uh, help bring to market products that I could feel really good about being a part of and um, moved to Colorado in 2001 to really kind of focus my efforts there. I uh, had a consulting business, did a lot of work helping to commercialize product concepts and, and help startups raise money. Um, that led to a bit of a startup addiction. I've co-founded three different companies and um, just recently, I've really been on a mission to learn more about e-commerce and Amazon. Uh, a lot of my background was in food, and the food industry is behind the curve with consumer shift and behavior. Uh, a lot of the food businesses I know are really trying to figure out how to make Amazon work and how to find consumer success there. Um, so when I met the owners of Mother Love, um, for me, it was a great opportunity to step into a business that was far more established and far much more um, successful in building a business on Amazon. So the last three plus years at Mother Love have been a pretty intense Amazon education for me. Um, having come from companies that were trying to figure it out, it felt like Mother Love had a lot, uh, a lot more going for it at Amazon. So um, it was great to come in and see what was happening, but also be able to, to bring some ideas on things that we could do differently to clean up, really clean up the rogue seller, uh, issues and, and get our data in a place where it's actionable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what about outside of work? I, um, love to be in the ocean. I'm a huge scuba diver. I have two kids who are scuba diving addicts like me, and uh, we're all pretty uh, focused on sea life and love to geek out on all the little critters that we can see. I've uh, been married for 23 years, um, so I'm a family man first and foremost, and you know, really just love small business. So I am constantly involved with various projects and just trying to help anyone I can bring good products to market. Um, products that consumers can be uh, rewarded for using and companies can feel proud of, of selling. Great. Great. So um, how can people find you? Give us your, uh, we, by the way, we are going to put all your contact info on our uh, podcast episode page on our website. 
so people can reach you. But tell us uh, the company, how the company can be reached, and how you can be reached uh, by uh, email or online. Yeah, great. Um, find me on LinkedIn. Definitely um, easy to find there. Mother Love Herbal Company is the company name. Uh, my email is Wes, W-E-S, at motherlove.com. And um, happy to help. If you're looking to grow your business, I'm always happy to share what I know that might be helpful. Great. Thank you, Wes. And that's it, everyone. And if you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about this podcast. And if you definitely learned things or heard things that you thought, wow, I had no idea, put them to use because you just heard it from Wes. He's been there for years. And this is not, this is a serious channel that can generate serious amount of cash for you, but you really have to know what you're doing. And there are so many moving parts. So thank you everyone. And uh, thank you, Wes, and uh, see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends. Oh, 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 oh